happening this morning because it's a baptism and you may not know what a baptism is, so I'm going to be very brief. But basically, it's a declaration of what's been going on between Lydia and God. And uh, so she's going to go into the water, or two people are going to push her under the water, and then hopefully they'll lift her up again. And, uh, and before that, she'll share a bit. But what it's saying, it's a symbol of something that's already happened. And basically what it's saying is that I finished with my old way of doing life. And so I'm being put into water as if going into a grave because that's the end of my old way of doing things. And then two people are going to lift her up again, the same two who push her under. And she's reliant on them because actually we're reliant on the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he rose from the grave. So what she's saying is, I want to die to all that old stuff. And I want to live in the life of resurrection that Jesus has given me. And in all that as well, when Jesus was baptized and other people are baptized, the Holy Spirit is there with them, anointing them and filling them with the power to live a new life. So that's what it is. It's a symbol, but it's a special symbol. Okay. (laughs) Thank you guys for that. Um, I just want to say thank you all for coming. And I've got to cry and keep it short and read it from paper because I could talk forever about what God's done in my life. So sorry, I'm not going into proper detail. Come and chat to me and ask me at the meal. And I'm sorry I'm going to talk quite fast because I couldn't shorten it enough. (laughs) Um, I was brought up going to church around brilliant youth leaders and family, but God was never relevant to me and didn't mean anything in my life. I sort of believed he existed in a taken-for-granted sort of way and had ideas about morality I'd been brought up with, but that doesn't mean anything. The only prayer I said was a prayer every day not to be shy. I thought badly of myself, was very insecure and very shy. Um, around year 9, 10, I would judge myself solely on how much I'd been out with my friends. Year 10, I tried most harmful things, got more involved with a couple of things. You can slow down a bit. But I'll be here. It's okay. I'll be here for too long. Um, I got attention from guys and I felt more special, so I got into a dangerous relationship and then spread myself thinly. This quest to feel self-worth made me selfish and oblivious to other people. I ended up suffering and hurt and with no more self-worth. I was shocked out of it by one last event where I could have been killed. The beginning of year 11, I decided that everyone's chasing after approval and popularity caused suffering, and so the right thing to do was just love people and forget about popularity. So I just wanted to love people, but I didn't connect this to God. But I would get depressed when didn't people respond well, but when people didn't respond well, and I didn't really want to, and it was a big effort. I was bad at loving people, basically. <laughs> I was still just as insecure about myself and still tried to make things better by the way I looked. It felt as though things slipped through my hands. I wasn't very good at going into school then, and come January year 11, I hadn't done any of my 14 GCSE courseworks. Um, around that time, God worked in my life in three ways. Firstly, he showed me the amazing love I was looking for in his love through Claire. Um, she found out about my situation and let me come round. Didn't want to cry already. <laughs> um, helped me, taught me through all by one of my courseworks up to when she was going into labour. I was like, what? <laughs> she has no reason to care and how is she doing this? I want to love like that. She told me about her faith and I realised there must be something powerful in it, that it is God that enables us to love. Secondly, at the same time, God drew me to some music where young people were excited for Jesus, and which was relevant. I was like, 
what is this they're so excited about? And maybe it is relevant to me. Um, through this, God pushed me to think about questions of existence and purpose. And through some certain deep times, I concluded that we cannot be here randomly. There must be more. These made me search for God. I responded at night one time by saying I wanted to follow him if he was true with the bit of faith I had. He led me to try and find out more about everything and to read the Bible, which blew me away with its truth and relevance. I began to understand that we were in a bad way without God, which we needed him to save us from. And if we did turn away from our old lives and give them to him, accepting that he's fixed things by dying for us, then he could restore us into an amazing full life that glorifies him. I can't remember the exact moment of the decision, but I remember after living in it. I can't understand fully what God did in that time, but I know he gradually renewed my mind, changing the way I looked at the world and what I wanted to go after in life, and the effortlessly through God's help things started to change. But not putting all my trust in Jesus for my situations meant I got really upset with things going on, which is when I had a crazy experience through the spirit of his peace above this world in an instant. It was the first time I'd experienced the great power and the bigness of God, and I was humbled by his nature and my silliness. God then moved in his love and showed me my eternal, unchanging identity in him. Filling me with um, um, a firm inner confidence. Um, which rested in him. I didn't look at what I did or what people thought to judge myself. And it was and it is amazing. I wasn't suddenly 100% not shy around others, but I grew hugely in it. But then my relationship with God sort of stagnated, even though I hadn't come very far, because I thought God was important, but not everything to me in the slightest. So I came to him sometimes in some things, so he affected only some parts of my life. I felt satisfied in limited conversations, some Bible reading, some changing in myself, and I wasn't searching for the more that there always is. And around the beginning of year 12, God brought this song to me, and I just wanted to share it with you guys. song was on like constant repeat I was hugely convicted that if any part of my life was not lived for God then it was a total waste like fit for the being kind of thing I realized Jesus rescue held an urgent response that I might as well not live if it wasn't all for Christ God showed me that I could easily not live so since I do live I should live it fully no holdbacks for him so God's calling was for everything it was a turn in how I viewed life with God I asked him to be in control of everything he made me excited for his word and want to spend time with him, and I grew more and more close to him. He kept on revealing amazing truths that would be perfect for my soul at the time, and my faith grew deeper, and my life was more focused. Unfortunately, over the next year and a half, I didn't allow myself to always live in God's fullness, though. Um, not trusting in God and fear and rationalizing helped me to a wrong relationship, and afterwards I buried it under a map. I still hadn't grasped how close my relationship with Jesus could be. I let Satan get to me, bringing up old past things which I knew were forgiven, but trying to let, but, but trying to challenge my purity and trying to confuse me with who I was. Getting discouraged with people who called themselves Christians, I tried to do useless things for God he didn't want instead of resting in God, and I struggled with things myself. I knew I was struggling, but didn't want that to stop my witness to God, so I put on a mask sometimes, and I could let things out on other people close to me. But I did actually grow in that time. God amazingly kept by me throughout. Every time I drew close to him, he drew close to me. And God summed it all up to me in a vision. I was hesitantly going upstairs, occasionally even going back a step. But he wanted me to just run up towards him where I would stand as a shining lamp. 
that God provided and dealt with every bit. A couple of months ago, fully focusing on him, he showed me what I must put before him. I was so surprised. He taught me to be open and unashamed and told me, and told me so I understood my purity in his sight. He told me I shouldn't struggle and fear anymore, but rest in his nature. And the Spirit gave me an amazing peace about everything in life, which I still can't believe. In that time, he taught me, he taught me to talk openly about everything with him, which has brought me so much more into the fullness of God. Recently, God showed me his, amaz- his, his power crazy in so many people's lives. There's so many amazing healings in South Africa. He's taught me to expect so much more from him. I'm sure there will be more things, as I always fail to trust in God fully. But throughout, he's kept every promise, and I can't believe everything he's done. Why do I want to get baptized? Because I want to follow Jesus' example, which is an amazing privilege, and be obedient to his call. I want to show my love for God and witness to the new birth and cleansing God has done, and to come, um, to come into the church. I don't think I should put it off anymore. Um, I want to thank God for my, my grandma, my family, Barbara, Jay and our youth meetings, um, Claire, Becky, and our Sunday night gatherings, Red and Green Christian Union peeps, and way more people who I could journey with and have all contributed loads. I just can't chat about it all. Um, In the future, I just want to deepen and deepen and deepen my relationship with God. I don't want to ever be satisfied and always want more. I've had some crazy prophecies about me, which you can ask me about, um, which I want God to fulfill. And moving to Cardiff now, I just want to live in God's fullness, guidance, and freedom to give glory to him. real uh, fantastic. But I thought I'd tell you a bit of a story to start with about a man who stumbled across a baptismal service that was going on in the river. And the preacher said, are you ready to find Jesus? The man said, oh yeah, I sure am. So the preacher took him into the water and dunked him down and brought him up again. Have you found Jesus? He said, no, I haven't. So he said, oh, I'll do it again. So he put him under water and brought him up and said, have you found Jesus yet? He said, no, I haven't. Right, he said, and put him down for a full 30 seconds and brought him up. The guy was gasping. <laughs> the preacher said, well, have you found Jesus? And the man said, are you sure he fell in here? <laughs> there you go. Right. That song by Lecrae that uh, Lydia, uh, that turned her life around, I just think it's an amazing song. And if you want to know, if you want a copy of it or something, let me know and uh, or ask Lydia and she can give you the YouTube link. Because I know it's very fast and it was a rap, wasn't it? But it was an amazing song. Uh, amazing. And there was a bit in it that said this. Don't waste your life. And everything in Luke 12, 15 down to 21, you really got to go and check it out. So I thought I'd tell you the Luke 15, 21 story very quickly. But I'll put it a bit more updated. Because Jesus told this story and it was about a farmer. But what he was saying was it was like anybody who's in business, man or woman. And this person, they invested in their business and it did really well. So in the farmer's case, the crops were fantastic. It yielded fantastically. So the guy said, right, this is brilliant. If I reinvest this, then actually I'm made for life. I can retire. I can live the life of leisure. And, well, many of us think like that, don't we? And then Jesus says, but God said, fool, tonight you'll die. And who will get your investments then? It's a tough story. And I didn't make it up. Jesus told it. But it's a tough story. 
And the only thing that's certain about life is that it comes to an end, isn't it, actually? We all die. And don't waste your life. So God is here. He wants to be known. He's done everything from his side to be made known. But my question is, what have you done about it? Have you found him yet? But don't look in the river. Take a moment to think about it. Imagine meeting God himself. What would he say to you? Your life is dependent on him. You exist here because of God. (laughs) He's created this amazing universe we live in, this world we live on. Have you found him yet? Have you taken the trouble to seek him out? Have you done what he created you to do? (laughs) Which is to know him and to be good to your fellow man. Because Jesus asked these kind of questions of people. They came up and said, oh, I want to know about all this. I want to do it. And some of them turned away. They couldn't take the difficult questions. And it's the same today. So, have you found him? Are you listening? But as I was thinking about today, I also was led to think about a particular letter to the Hebrews. And I'm partly talking to Lydia here. and partly to all of us. Because the Hebrew letter was written to a group of people who really knew the gospel. They'd entered into something that was real. But over time, they kind of changed it and added bits on so that they could be more in control rather than God being in control. They became more religious and less lifelike, less lively. It's a bit like, if you can imagine, looking at a golden eagle and you think, that's amazing. So you catch it and you stuff it and you put it on your mantelpiece and say, what an amazing golden eagle. But it's not flying. (laughs) What's the point? (laughs) This life is for flying, isn't it? Jesus came so you could live, (laughs) not just believe a set of rules. That's why this letter was written. So I'm going to very briefly go through five warnings that this writer gives to these Hebrew people. First one, don't waste your life by drifting. I'll read from the Bible. This is the message. It's crucial we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so we don't drift off. If the old message delivered by angels was valid and nobody got away with anything, do you think we can risk neglecting this amazing message, this magnificent salvation? First of all, it was delivered in person by Jesus Christ, the Master, then accurately passed on to us by those who heard it from him. And that's all written in the Bible, isn't it? All the while, God was validating it with gifts through the Holy Spirit, all sorts of signs and miracles as he saw fit. That's Hebrews 2, verse 1. So we've heard from Lydia how she has known the gifts of God. I want to say, go with it. (laughs) Don't let it drift. This is a magnificent salvation. And there's a warning in there for everyone, including me. Don't let it drift by. Don't let it drift out of reach. It'll take effort and tears and courage. But it's God. Secondly, oh well, in writing to Timothy, I was reminded, Timothy was a great man of God. And yet Paul wrote to him and said, Timothy, I know you're finding it tough. You're crying a lot. It's really difficult out there. But stir up the gift of God in you. For God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. 
And I loved what Rebecca shared at the beginning. I thought that was so apt. Thank you, Rebecca. Secondly, don't waste your life by not believing. Keep listening to God. And Hebrews 4 says, If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Faith is needed. It goes on to say, The word preached didn't profit, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God speaks. But there's some mingling has to go on from our side to make what he says real in our lives. And it's a mingling. (laughs) That's what the word mixed there, mixed with faith. It means to become of one compound. Tozer says this. I like Tozer. Good writer. Faith sees the impossible. Sorry, the invisible. But it doesn't see the non-existent. Faith introduces a radically different element into our lives. By faith we know is the word that lifts our knowledge to a higher level. Faith engages facts that have been revealed from heaven. And by their nature, they do not respond to scientific tests. The Christian knows a thing to be true, not because he's verified it in experience, but because God has said it. His expectations spring from his confidence in who God is. And sometimes God will say something and we have to say, yes, I'll go with that. Or we'll find it doesn't do anything in us. Faith is needed. So I looked up a few people that Jesus commended for having great faith. And they're amazing stories. You can look them up. Just read through Matthew. There was one, a soldier whose servant was sick. And uh, he said to Jesus, don't come under my roof. I know what authority is like. When I'm told to do something, I do it. When you say something, it'll happen. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And he was. A sick man was carried by four friends and brought before Jesus. And Jesus said, great is your faith. And the man was healed. A woman with a bleeding problem pressed through the crowds, so confident that God would meet her, even though people were saying, you're stupid, get away. There were two blind men who kept crying out, because they wanted Jesus to do something, sure that he would meet them, and he did. And there's a woman from Canaan who had a sick daughter, who even Jesus said, I'm not going to do this for you now. And she said, but you will, because I know what you're like. And he did. (laughs) It's reliance on who God is, who Jesus is, and what he says, not our logic or our understanding. So, next one. Don't waste your life by not growing up. Not maturing. It says that you're slow to learn in Hebrews 5. Or, literally, you're dull of hearing. <laughs> and so chapter 6, verses, uh, verses 1 to 3, starts like this. Come on, let's leave the preschool fingerprinting exercise on, which, on Christ. And go on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust towards God. There's so much more. Let's get on with it. (laughs) Fourthly, don't waste your life by drawing back. That's Hebrews 10. Again, the writer says this, So friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God in the holy place. So let's do it. Full of belief, 
confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. If we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth we know, we repudiate Christ's sacrifice and are left on our own to face the judgment. And a mighty fierce judgment it will be. What that's saying is, seek other people out who will stir you up to love and good works. And you can stir them up. Because there are plenty of people out there who may even call themselves Christians, who actually aren't prepared to live the life for God and give everything up for him, like we've been hearing this morning. There are plenty of us. Stir each other up. Be inventive. Let's discover what God can do. And finally, fifthly, don't waste your life by refusing God. That's Hebrews 12. Because there will be times when it's tough. And God might ask us to do things we don't want to do. So the writer says, it's a bit like being a child. And a good father will discipline a child. I know it's a bit unpopular. It's true. (laughs) A good father will discipline a child because he wants them to grow up. My mum always used to say, if you don't do what I say, it'll end in tears. (laughs) And more often than not, it did. And if we don't do what actually God asks us to do, it will end in tears, won't it? (laughs) So out of that song, the writer said, make a little money, start living for a car, get him a wife, a house, kids and a dog. But guess what? A dog. Help. Some of you know we've got a dog. But guess what? They didn't really live at all. To live is Christ. That's Paul, I recall. To die is gain. And for Christ, we give it all. Don't waste your life. That's my plea. My plea for Lydia, and we've heard her going off out of cannon. Fantastic. But it's my plea for the church. It's my plea for you, my friends. And it's my plea that you would say that to me. Don't waste your life. God is at work. And he can do far more than we can ask or imagine. But what's the element that takes faith or that word risk, as someone reminded me this week? Where's the risk? (laughs) Talking to Dave Winfield. He's at City Road preaching this morning, by the way. And he said, when you step out in faith, Every time, it's like you're stepping off a cliff. (laughs) And if God doesn't turn up to do as you've promised he would, you feel as if you're just going to drop into nothing. When's the last time you did that? (laughs) When's the last time I did that? Stepped out on who God is to discover he's there. Praise God. So, God, not religion, has the power to change lives, anyone's life, including mine and yours, anyone here, your colleagues. God has the power to change lives. Will you count the cost of that? Will you leave all the other stuff because it's not really relevant? And church, are we prepared to do that as well? To turn from religion to life. (laughs) Let's not stuff an eagle 
Let's fly.